Ukulele Tales, the ukulele podcast with John Atkins. Hello and welcome back to your midweek treat, Ukulele Tales, the ukulele podcast. As ever, a great big thank you to Carla Music, the show's sponsor. Visit carlabrand.com slash uketeacher for a 10% discount on anything on the Carla website. Did you guys have a good week? I hope you're all keeping well. What did you think of the Victoria Vox episode? Lots of great stuff to unpack there. And believe it or not, if I get round to finishing editing it, there should even be an extra 10 or 20 minutes or so up on Patreon in the next week or two as well. Uh, In fact, I realised that she snuck into the conversation that she went to music school with John Mayer. And not only that, but while I was reading up on her Wikipedia page, I stumbled upon the fact that he actually wrote a song about her called, appropriately enough, Victoria. So lots of fun stuff to unpack from last week's episode. And if you haven't heard it yet, I really encourage you to go back and check it out. Now, coincidentally, my guest this week has something in common with Victoria in that he also went to Berkeley Music School, although not at the same time as Victoria and John Mayer, I don't think. Not only that, but he's also the second bona fide Grammy Award winner that we've had on the podcast. Yes, today I am talking to the musician par excellence, Danny Weinkoff, perhaps better known as the bass player and occasional vocalist for one of my all-time favourite bands, They Might Be Giants. As you may or may not know, and I do feel like I've dropped it into at least a couple of interviews, uh, They Might Be Giants have been my joint favourite band ever since just before my 10th birthday, when Birdhouse In Your Soul was riding high in the charts. I was just discovering my own musical identity at the time, and for some reason that song cut through all the other more conventional pop that was on the radio, your Kylie's and Jason's and other stock Aiken and Waterman produced fare that many of my school friends were attaching themselves to, and it wormed its way inside my head never to leave. Since then, I followed them avidly for many years, being the only TMBG fan I knew. And then when I finally got onto the internet around 1997 or 1998, I suddenly realising that I wasn't alone and that there were thousands of others just like me all over the world. Now, after following them since 1990, I finally, finally got the chance to see them perform live in person around 2001 or maybe 2002, a cool 11 or 12 years later. And that was where I first saw today's guest performing live. Danny Weinkoff joined them on bass guitar in the late 1990s when they went from a duo to a full five-piece band, and he stuck with them pretty consistently ever since. His trademark red pants, and I should clarify to my UK listeners, that means trousers, made him a fan favourite at live shows, and when the band started producing children's music in 2002, he even began to contribute his own songs to these projects and became the first nun-John to sing lead vocals on one of their records. Hot on the successes of these songs, Danny, along with his Red Pants band, released several solo albums of children's music of his own, as well as composing music for film and TV. Not only that, but in the last few months, his son Kai Weinkoff, who sang lead vocals on some of Danny's early kids' records as a youngster, 
just started releasing his own grown-up music as a 20-something. As you can tell, I'm a fan. And it was a thrill to get to speak to Danny, who was incredibly generous with his time and his answers. Now, as you know, I like to record these interviews in person where possible, but unfortunately it just wasn't possible in this case, as Danny had just started uh, another year-long worldwide tour with They Might Be Giants. But we had a great chat on the phone just a few days ago where we spoke about just about everything I could have possibly ever wanted to ask him. Now, I've already rambled on for far, far, far too long, and I just want you guys to enjoy this interview as much as I did. So I'm going to butt out for the time being, but if you're a fan of They Might Be Giants or just curious about the life of a touring musician, I think you're going to love this. I was just over there recently. I think I told you my, my daughter is studying abroad in, in uh, London. Um, she's a junior in, in university. And, and uh, my wife and I were there for 10 days traveling around. It was pretty great. Oh, that's lovely. Thank, is, is that your first time? I mean, obviously you've been there with They Might Be Giants a bunch, but the yeah, first time... I've been many, first time with my wife and, mm. and first time with my wife and my daughter. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to be there uh, vacationing rather than just uh, on a work trip. Yeah, yeah. I guess kind of being in a band, maybe you sort of travel the world but don't see much of it? Well, we do, but you know, I don't get to share it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, it's not the same. Sending a photo of something you've experienced to your family members, it just doesn't hit them the same way. Not quite the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first things first, so how is the tour going? The tour has been really fantastic. Um, we, um, every show so far has been sold out. I think maybe it's a combination of, uh, you know, we're doing this, the 30th anniversary of Flood, um, the album Flood, but also um, maybe COVID has something to do with it. But it seems like the, the crowds are even more enthusiastic than usual. Some of the towns like in uh, Atlanta, we actually went from having two shows at a venue that we usually play. We found a venue that was more than twice as big and sold that out. Um, so yeah, so it's it's really been a terrific response from the fans, and it's really great to play. You know, it was quite a while where the band hadn't really been out for very much. You know, the last couple of years we've only played in the studio, so it's it's really uh, feels like a long time coming, and it it feels like a celebration. Yeah. Hey, talking of the COVID stuff, this is like a crazy thing. About three years ago, I had tickets to come and see you guys in LA, and oh then it was cancelled. And in the sort of intervening three years, we've like moved house about four times. Now we're back in England. And yet the weekend that it's been rescheduled for is actually the weekend I'm back in L.A. for Nam. So I'll get to go and see it after all. <laughs> you mean in April? In April, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I've been carrying like the ticket around on my phone for three years thinking, well, I don't want to get rid of it just yet, just in case. But oh it's so crazy, crazy, right? Crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Wow. <laughs> so it's funny how these things work out, right? <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah hopefully, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So what happened to the red pants? You don't seem to wear them so much anymore. Is that right? Or No, I, I do. I do. I wear them. Um, well, when I do my children's music, I always wear them. Um, and then um, I wear them with the, with the Giants, you know, a, 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 a fair amount. I mean, I think on this tour I have uh, four different color pants, and one of them is red. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. 
you know, it wasn't it wasn't some kind of rule. It actually was it was more something that the the fans latched onto. Um, you know, I, I had this red pair of pants that I wore years ago with the band. And for some reason, whenever I wore those particular pants, uh, the fans would call attention to it and, and put post photos on Facebook, etc. And then it, it started to get to the point where if I didn't wear the red pants, people would comment. So I bought a couple more pairs. But, um, you know, the world is multicolored. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I, I didn't want to just keep wearing. So, I, you know, I do still wear them, but I don't, it's not it's not some kind of exclusive thing. OK, that's cool. Hey, um, just before we go any further, I've been listening like for the last week or two since we've sort of been emailing back and forth to all your stuff. I've been like doing a lot of research and everything. And then a couple of days ago, I was like, oh, I should probably check out your son's record because you've been mentioning that on Facebook a bunch. Right. And I just want to say it's terrific. Like I had no idea what I was expecting, but it's so good. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It, you know, he's just starting out. He, you know, he went to university for math and he just got out of school. And, and while he was in university, he, uh, you know, was in an acapella group for four years. So his ears, as a result, his ears just got so fine tuned and his, he, he's come home and he's starting to write these songs. And I just, I can't believe like, you know, how he's leaps and bounds where he was from when he left and he didn't study, you know, he studied music, just general music classes or whatever, but he wasn't a music major or anything, but he really, he seems to be coming onto, you know, coming into his own and, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm really proud of him. It's really fun for us to, to do together, obviously. You know, yeah, I, I yeah. never imagined that, you know, that he would be this good at it. So uh, yeah. it's been fun. And, you know, he, he's he got an, a, a bunch of other songs that we have just put them together so we can make it a full record, full album. And It's funny because you're doing like kids music and he's doing like really mature, like grown up exactly, music. Exactly. Yes. It's very sincere. You know, well, he's at that age. Yeah. You know, love, love is a new thing for him. And right. Injustice and all these things are are like foremost on his mind. So um, it's you know it's a good time to capture that as an artist. I think so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I didn't realize until again, like I say, like this last week or so, when I've been listening back to all your stuff, that it's him singing on um, you know all your kids' records, like the uh, the spelling bee and everything. That's him, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spelling bee. He was, I think, he was eleven or twelve years old. Yeah, he still hadn't reached puberty and. You know, he has this very high, you know, yeah. child voice. But he, you know, even back then, he, he, there were signs that he, you know, he was a, a good singer. You know, he, he got the star role in his fifth grade play. And that's actually where he was, you know, I guess you're 10 in fifth grade. That was the first time my wife and I actually realized that he could sing. He didn't necessarily sing in the house. Yeah. So he tried out for the school play. And, and when I went to ask the, the, you know, the supervising teacher how things were going, she kind of chuckled and said, oh, you know how he is. And I said, no, I don't. What do you mean? And, and she's like, well, he's got the main role. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, oh, great. And then, you know, then we went and saw the show and we we're like, oh, boy, he's, you know, he's pretty talented. So. Well, this is it. Because when I was listening to and I'm talking about when it came out, was it like 10 years ago or something? Um, yeah. And I heard the uh, the spelling bee song. I thought, oh, you must have got one of those like Disney kids in to do right. your no, no, kid no, stuff. Just, yeah, just my son in the basement. You know? Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's great. And now this is what he's putting out. So uh, yeah, 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 it must be so yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. There was a big break in between. You know, he, he was he was an athlete for a long time and didn't wasn't really interested in music until he he he, he realized one day that girls are interested in guys that like that can sing. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> And, yeah, and it kind of switched overnight. There was a, 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 
birthday party for a, for a girl when she was 16 or something and he sang a song at the party and all the girls started swooning and literally the next morning i woke up and he was sitting on our living room couch with an acoustic guitar in his hand strumming it saying dad can you show me how to do this amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's stopped, exactly playing, yeah he stopped playing sports like kind of that minute amazing that's exactly <laughs> why i played guitar as a kid i'll be honest with you <laughs> Man. Well, we'll get to your uh, your music in a second, um, hopefully. Sure. But I was just going to ask you, because uh, it, obviously it's like a ukulele podcast. Sure, so sure. Um, let's start off with the ukulele. As far as I can remember, you've always had, I guess, at least one or two sort of Yuki songs on most of your solo albums. Yes. Um, is that like an intentional thing? And where does the ukulele fit into your music? Um, it's, it's, it's not something I, I keep... Um, it's not like I'm trying to have a, 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 at least one uke song on every album. It's not like, like a conscious thing. It's just something that, that comes up it, when I'm writing um, and maybe even more so when I'm writing children's music because I also write music for television and that sort of thing. But um, uh, it, it just comes up. There, there's, it's um, because it has a different timbre than a, than a, like a steel string guitar or an electric guitar. And because the tuning is slightly different, even though I, I play it, you know, basically guitar tuning with the, which what would be the D is an octave higher. Okay. Uh, you know, so it's G C E A, I guess. Um, you know, I can use guitar voicings on the ukulele and not, and, and the, the voicings look the same as they do on a guitar, but because that, that the, the, string that's highest up in the air i don't know what you would prefer i guess it's the high string on a ukulele yeah because it's an octave up the voicings become different and then so those same chords sound different on the ukulele so when i'm writing um things that sound good on a ukulele might not have sounded the same on a guitar or vice versa so it opens me up to different to different sounds and and sometimes a, a similar or a familiar chord progression when i play it on the ukulele will sound just that much different that it makes me it inspires a melody or a lyric or something, and then I can run with it. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's like just moving to the piano or something. Yeah, everything different and the sound is different, so it makes me come up with different ideas. So it's so like I, a I just, composition tool for you, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and, and also I love the you know I love the sound. It's it you know there are a couple of times not usually if I if the song has ukulele on it on the album then I most often would have started on the ukulele okay but 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 a couple of times i've i've used it just because i wanted that softer um the percussive sh soft sound that the uke offers that if i did the same thing on on my acoustic guitar would it, it just wouldn't be the same so um there's been a couple of times where i'm just looking for that color so i pull it out as a tool in that way okay cool so i guess they might be giants fans would know you as a bass player uh, sure. yeah. How did you start in? What are your musical beginnings? Did you start on the bass or uh, something I started, else? Yeah, I started on the guitar um, later in high school. I guess junior or senior year of high school or something, probably sixteen, seventeen ish, and was into all kinds of music. I was really uh, uh, into, into you know the Beatles and pop and and that sort of thing. But I also, as a musician, was curious about jazz and those sort of things. Um, and Wes Montgomery and Pat Metheny th and other players. And then um, uh, somewhere along the line, I think I, w I had gone to Berkeley College of Music for one year um, and left there. And when I left, uh, I had a, a good friend who was a bass player. 
and he, I, he sold me a bass really cheaply and I kind of tucked it away. And then when I was 23 years old, I had an old school teacher that, um, that asked me to join him in his wedding band. He had some gigs lined up and their, their regular guy couldn't make it. And he said, can you, can you come down and play? Um, he knew me from high school. He just knew that I was interested in music and I had a guitar. Um, and he said, can you come and play? And I said, well, I don't own a bass, which I didn't mm -hmm. at the time. So I borrowed their bass player's bass and played, faked my way through a couple of weddings and parties and things. And, uh, and then wound up being offered that job. So of course I went and bought a bass and started really sort of shedding and, and, and practicing. And so at around 23, I just, you know, really focused on it. It was a part-time job and uh, a way to make money while I was still in college and, or finishing college. And uh, I just fell in love with it and then started playing in bands and those bands got record deals and it, it wasn't a plan. It was more sort of, you know, being, uh, hardworking and, um, and, and in the right place at the right time, that sort of thing. Yeah. What were you studying in college? Uh, I was a psychology major. Okay. And then, and then I got out and I was playing music for a couple of years, um, with a band called the bell tower. Yeah. Which had uh, Jody Porter, who wound up in Fountains of Wayne, and Britta Phillips, who wound up in uh, Dean and Britta and Luna, um, and another guy named Pete, who was the drummer for the band Cake. Um, we played together for a couple of years, and and then I found myself sort of bouncing all over the world. I was in London for a couple of months. I was in San South Carolina, and I decided I needed a backup in case the music thing didn't work out. So I went back to school and got a degree in physical therapy. Stopped playing music for a couple of years from ages like 26 to 28. Got out of physical therapy school, got a job in a hospital, started playing in a band for fun, and that band got a record offer. <laughs> and then and started touring, etc. So again, it wasn't a plan. It was, yeah. um, it was more a matter of circumstance. And then, you know, I fundamentally always loved music first, but I never thought it was a way... I didn't grow up in a musical family, so it never seemed like a way that people actually earned a living or, or could have a lifestyle. Um, but it, eventually that's what happened is that, you know, I, I wound up playing with good people and, and, and being fortunate and getting signed and, you know, wound up playing in bands and then leaving my physical therapy job. And, and now I still have a physical therapy license. And when we're not on tour, like when COVID hit, I went home uh, from tour and, and wound up luckily was able to get a job doing physical therapy while we were weren't touring. So, oh, that's amazing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and I still do it part time when we're not on tour. It's, 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 it's worked out to be a good balance for my lifestyle. I've yeah. been able to have a family and children. And, hey, okay. talking so of a long winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's all, it's all really interesting to me. I'm fascinated by all of it. I was about to ask you about the physical therapy stuff, actually, just because yeah. it mentioned on your website and I wasn't really sure if it was something you were still into or not yeah, but, uh, you know, yeah yeah even now i mean we're we're on a three-week run and i will be returning home i work five mornings a week in two different schools near my home where i work with mostly autistic children but some children with cerebral palsy or down syndrome those sort of developmental disabilities and i work just mornings so it still allows me a lot of time for music um, and fortunately it's, 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 or unfortunately for them, it's, it's hard to staff people in those positions. So there's a big demand for, for, for pediatric therapists. So the result is that I can go on tour and then come back and still have the job available. To yeah. Me. So yeah. I'll go back for a couple of weeks and go back in the schools and then we'll go back on tour and then I'll go back to the schools and, you know, I sort of juggle the two. Um, 
but um you know they, they it, there's not a lot of music made between 9 and 12 a.m <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. So, it's not a musician's so hour is it not the musician's no, time no, most of my friends are sleeping so yeah. it doesn't really there's not a lot of conflict and allows me to keep my my you know my science-based physical therapy chops up and have a little bit of an extra income and and uh and also give back it's a very different motivation for me uh the music is is more like a a self-satisfying thing I, i have to leave my family and go away from them and and um it's about me feeling artistically rewarded and and getting to to play in front of crowds and that sort of thing and then when i come home it's all about these kids and, and trying to make their lives a little better and, and make their families lives easier and that sort of thing so it adds a little bit of humility and, and uh, uh uh more of a uh it takes a lot more patience yeah and, and, yeah it's more of a giving yeah. job than a taking job so there's a good balance for me yeah that's great hey just talking about uh, something from a few minutes ago about wedding bands. Yes. Um, I actually played the ukulele with Dan Hickey's wedding band a few years ago at my friend's wedding. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. No, my I, friend I got... I didn't my... know that Dan was, was actually playing at weddings. I didn't I didn't know that he was doing that. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if you guys were still in touch or anything, but... Um... We, no, we are still in touch, but I wasn't aware of that. I think that might be one of the things that he keeps to himself. You know, some some musicians that play in in bands that actually tour and make albums um you know some of them just won't even hear of the idea of playing in a wedding it's beneath them yeah but then other ones that do it maybe don't don't talk about it so much because some people look down on it oh. i do it myself these days oh yeah it was, yeah. It was another one of those yeah. things a few years back where they might be giants started sort of started a schedule where we would tour for one year we'd tour like the, a calendar year say 2010 but then 2011 we would take off from touring and then we'd go back on 2012 so every other year we weren't touring and after we did that once or twice i thought well you know i really would love to be playing more in a live situation just to keep my chops up and and that sort of thing and so i reached out to some local uh bands that were working a lot and wound up becoming like an alternate with with a local um, wedding band and it's been great i mean my the first gig i had to play with them i had to learn 65 songs wow you know we yeah. play for four hours so yeah uh, you know it, it 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 helped me you know it's good for my ears i have to learn songs quickly and, and retain them and for me it's fun um, yeah i did it in college and i didn't i didn't enjoy it so much in college because i i just wanted to be doing something that i thought was more important but now that i'm doing both and that i can just enjoy the 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 wedding part of it i i really have a lot of fun there's some very good players that i play with and yeah i do it i do it you know when i am off tour if, if the gigs come up and i'm available i take the gigs and you know just try to have you know i go out and play stevie wonder and earth wind and fire and brilliant yeah <laughs> you know, some of my favorite bass lines yeah well i was going to ask you talking about like sort of you said learning 65 songs i mean how many they might be giant songs are there there must be hundreds right Oh yeah, yeah. I think there's over three hundred, uh, probably more. Oh, I would have thought way, way more than that, probably. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not actually sure of the number. It's not. It's. I know that one year we recorded sixty something songs in that one particular year. Wow. And how many of them do you know, sort of off by heart? Like, how many do you remember? Oh, um, I guess a hundred or so, or more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Something That's like amazing. that. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then we probably played more than that. And so I would have to review some of them. Um, okay. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's there's probably 
a hundred or so that 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 you know we could just pull out and play at any yeah. time. Because I've seen you guys like a bunch of times. I mean, over the years, and it's never the same show twice. And even right. if it's the same song, it's never played the same way twice. I don't think. <laughs> we try to change it up if we can, you know. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. How how does that work? Like the improvisation amongst sort of five of you. Um, how well, now there's eight. Yeah. We're out on. A, we have a three piece horn section. So. Oh great! Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which also actually makes it a little more locked down because they're playing charts that are very specific, you know, they're, they're, the horn harmonies and things are very specific. So at times it, it, um, it lends itself to improvisation. Like we, we'll play the song um, Istanbul, not Constantinople, and it'll open with a sax solo and then go into a trombone solo. And then we end with a big rave up that it features a trumpet solo and, and guitar solos. So that's, you know, that can be improvis- improvisatory, but, but um, other songs, where the, the horns are playing through the, the arrangement of the song, we, we really sort of need to stick to what was on the record because their, you know, their parts are very sort of specifically designed for that arrangement. Yeah. Hey, it's you know? funny you should mention um, Istanbul because my son, who's only four, by the way, he, um, okay. that was his first ever, like, favourite song. And, <laughs> he was, <laughs> and I was wondering, like, because that's not one of their kids' songs, but what is it about? No, no, just, it, it's a long time. It's a long time song from their catalog. Yeah. Yeah, but what is it about? Like they might be giants in general that just appeals to children, whether it's their kids' songs or just anything yeah. by them. You know. You know, um, I guess to me, for me, I would imagine it's because there's a very, you know, they're very interested in melody, um, and often the songs will have like. Um, it might be a major chord progression with a with a happy melody, but then dark lyrics about uh, skulls in the graveyard or something. Yeah. And so, but the what, what I think the kids latch onto is the 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 melodic happy sound of it. Um, and then you know it's up to you know you're deciphering the lyrics to determine what what that what they mean to you. But I think that may be the thing that kids latch onto. I know that years ago when I first joined the band. We had not done any children's music at all with They Might Be Giants, but people would often come up and, and make the same comment that you just did that. Hey, you know, my kids love your music. Why don't you guys write some stuff that's more specifically geared towards kids because we think they'd love it. And it happened over and over and over and over again until finally uh, John and John relented and we came out with the album No and uh, it was received so well that then we went ahead and signed a contract with Disney and did more records and had more success, et cetera. Um, but um, it was really from comments like yours that, that people just thought, hey, like our kids really like the sound of your music. Um, wasn't designed that way. And then when we did children's music, the one thing that we tried to keep was the same musical sensibility. Like let's yeah. keep making music the same way we do, not try to, you know, uh, I don't know what the proper word would be, but we didn't want to talk down to kids musically. Yeah. Um, so we tried to just approach it the same way, just have the lyrics be more, have the topics be more centered on, on children's ideas or that sort of thing. But, but you know, we would often record some songs for our rock records, children's music and music for television in the same day. And to be honest, some of the days... I didn't know what we were, which, you know, the track we were working on, I didn't know what it was ultimately for, especially <laughs> right. if the lyrics weren't done. Yeah. I would just yeah. know, that, all right, this is the chord progression. This is the vibe of the music. Let's record it. And it wouldn't be till like later on, I'd hear the song and be like, oh, there's that track that we did. That one's on the rock record. This one's on the kids record. 
I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. There's lots more still to come, but I just wanted to say, if this is your first episode of Ukulele Tales, then welcome. Please, please, please spread the love by sharing it with your friends and family, as the only way I can keep this going is if people actually listen to it. It comes out for free each and every Wednesday, and it is available in all the usual podcasty places. Also, if it is your first episode, there are some great ones in the archive to check out. If you like this one with Danny Weinkoff, I think you'll really love my chat with Bagiti Kamalo from a few months ago. He played bass on Paul Simon's classic Graceland album and has toured with him on and off ever since. He had a great story to tell about how music literally saved his life, taking him from the poverty-stricken streets of South Africa to a brand new life in the USA. There's also a great chat with Canadian ukulele supremo James Hill, which took place way back in episode one. And James always has a lot of great stuff to talk about, so that's a wonderful episode you're going to really enjoy checking out too. And if you are a uke lover, there's chats with top people like Jake Shimabakuru, Victoria Vox, Bernadette Teaches Music, and lots, lots more top players and personalities. Have a rummage around and see what takes your fancy. I'm sure you'll find something you like. Also, I have an email address and I love getting messages from you. So if you've listened to this episode and you've enjoyed it, why not drop me a line to say hello? Just email uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com and I'll be really happy to hear from you. And I do read and reply to every single message I get eventually and lastly if you really like the show and you'd like just a little bit extra why not subscribe to my patreon page patreon.com slash teacher there's bonus content from lots of my guests including the above mentioned james hill tyler from 10 thumbs pro christopher davis shannon and more and just by subscribing for a few dollars a month it helps support the podcast and helps me to continue to get top guests and record some great interviews with them Anyway, that's enough blathering from me. Let's hear some more from Danny Weinkoff. So when they started doing kids' music, that was when you kind of... I was going to say came on the scene, not came on the scene. That was when you... Uh, well, basically, you sang a song on, the, on their record for the first time. Sure, sure, yeah. That's uh, when... Well, the, what happened was... Um, when we started to do the first children's record, um, John and John basically offered up the idea to anybody else in the band if they'd like to try to co- contribute something to the album, you know, they could submit the ideas to them and they would listen to them and see if they s- sort of fit the rest of the songs and, and that sort of thing. And so I did. I wrote the song, Where Do They Make Balloons? And I recorded the whole thing and sang it and, se- and sent it to them. And, and John and John were like, sure, let's do it. And I actually wrote it thinking that they would sing it. Okay, yeah. They, you know, yeah. they being the singers of They Might Be Giants, I yeah. thought, like, all right, well, when you guys can sing it. And they insisted that they wanted me to do it. They're like, no, 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 we like your demo. We think you should be the voice of the song. And and I had never intended to be a singer at that point in my life. So um, I was, I gave it a shot and did the best that I could. And the song was well-received. And we started doing it in the live shows. And, um, and then from there... You know that when I found out we were going to do another children's record and another after that, I kept trying. I kept submitting songs for those, 
and you know got fortunate and they would choose some of my songs for their albums and then at a certain point uh we took a, a long break between children's records and i kept writing children's songs and my wife said you know i know you're waiting for the next giants record but you have a bunch of songs why don't you just release your own children's album and that's how the first Danny Weinkoff children's record called uh, No School Today. That's how that came about. It was basically my wife suggesting it, you know, probably 20, 30 times because I'm a husband and I don't listen to my wife well enough. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you know, when she she was right. And so I eventually did put out my own album um, and then continued to write children's songs. I, I really do enjoy it. It gives me a certain freedom and um, in the, the recording studio and I can basically do any style of music and I play most of the, the instruments on all the songs so it's fun for me to like try to do something jazzy and play the drums and play you know like piano or or something ragtime or something hip-hop yeah. or something you know whatever the genre is it's, you do the drums as well did you say sorry yeah yeah on, yeah on my children's music yes yeah um, so so yeah so it, it, it just it's a really fun thing for me to do um and again, I get to sing and I go and sing in public when we do live shows. And that's a whole different experience on stage. It's, um, you know, it's incredibly rewarding in a, in a much different way than being the bass player on stage. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun project for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Did you have any ambition to sort of make your own like solo music before the kids' projects came up? Um. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, in that I always would wanted to be in a band where I could possibly be one of the writers and and, um, and be involved in in the in the recording process and the creation of the songs. But I never um, I never thought that my voice was good enough for me to be a lead singer. So I would always write songs with the idea that maybe somebody else could sing them. Yeah. Um, and I've done I've done a bunch of that over the years. Um, uh, and, you know, and, and even now, when now that my son, as we mentioned before, my son Kai is 23 and he just came out with his first EP and he's making an album and et cetera. I'm not writing with him, no, but okay. I'm in the studio with him. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's fun. It's a different kind of fun because, you know, I'll play guitar on some of the tracks. I'll play keyboards. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of taking his direction and, and uh helping him form the sound that he hears in his head. And so it's almost kind of like being unofficially a band member with him, as well as being with They Might Be Giants. And yeah, um, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Do you have any interest in doing uh, like grown up solo music? I don't, there must be a better word for grown up music than that, but like not yeah, kids. No, stuff yeah. Then. I just call it rock music. Yeah. Or, okay. Or, yeah. Yeah. No, we call it adults sometimes, but then it sounds like maybe it's pornographic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, uh, I would love to do it. But again, I would I would only really consider doing it for real if I if I uh, and I and I again I've done this with other people in the past that just didn't pan out as well as they might be Giants did. But uh, if I if I met a singer that wanted to write together or something, um, I would be happy to to be in that situation and 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 do that. I just don't think that I don't see my voice, especially you know at this point in my life. Um, I'm not a young man anymore, so I, I don't see me as a, a as a, uh, a lead singer, you know, for for new music. Um, so it would have to involve somebody else singing. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I mean, like when yeah, I listen yeah. to your stuff, especially your new album. I mean, I really love your voice, but I get what you mean. Like for me, 
it sounds it sounds to me, tell me if I'm completely wrong, but like the influences that I hear are all kind of like 70s fun American pop stuff, like the monkeys kind of thing. I don't know what well, you yeah, would Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely influenced by the Beatles. That's pretty much my always been my favorite band. Um, um, and yeah, maybe it sounds like the monkeys or something because it's it's my take on the Beatles, which is not as good as the Beatles. So they <laughs> yeah. monkeys. <laughs> well, honestly, I prefer the monkeys to be honest with you. But uh, oh, funny, funny. Yeah. oh my gosh! But um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, um, uh, I yeah, I have a love of seventies music. I love um, art, like uh, Motown and soul, that that sort of stuff, and Stevie Wonder also. So maybe that influences it. it um, yeah, there, there, there's there's um, to, I couldn't limit my influences to just a specific genre. What, what comes out comes out, and, and like I said, the, making children's music for me is primarily fun. Yeah. So I don't try to um, I don't try to get too uh, critical or too analytical about it. I just sort of, if I want to, you know, if I'm going to write a song about a, if I have an idea, let me write a song about electricity. Then, however it comes out, it comes out, and then I just try to make the best recording of that idea, yeah. um, and then move on. I'm not. I don't. I don't spend a, a heck of a lot of time laboring over it. Um, you know, just put all the parts together, make it sound the best it can, and write another song. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, maybe the sound is just what's ingrained in me from being a child in the 70s. Right, something. that makes sense, yeah. I mean, it's all yeah, very it's upbeat, nice. positive stuff anyway. Yeah, well, that's the, you know, it's it's for kids, so I, you know, I, I'm limited in, I have written a lot of dark music, but I, I tend to use that either for television or for, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the parts of my computer that people can't access. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you talk about the ideas you have for songs, I notice there's like a few about like medical procedures and things like that, like the hole in the heart and the kidney that lived in four people. Right. This is such a cliched question, but where do these ideas come from? Uh, they can, you know, they can just come from daily life. Yeah. Um, I think the the kidney song actually, I think, may have come from the person who I co-wrote that with, which is a man named Hank Green. Okay. Who's a YouTube? He's a YouTube sensation. He and his brother. John, oh yeah, yeah, John yeah. Green, yeah. John Green wrote has written a number of books that have become films. Um, the Fault in Our Stars. Uh, yeah, Fault in Our yeah, Stars, yeah. etc. Right. Yeah. That's 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 his brother John. So Hank is Hank has um, all kinds of uh, YouTube videos about science, about psychology, about different. Um, academic topics. He's a he's a brilliant guy and a, and, a, and a character. He's a really interesting um, person. So and a, and loves music and has his own band. Somehow we, um, I saw a video. My maybe my son was watching one of his videos, and in the background I saw a picture of they might be giants. Hmm. And I reached out to him and I said, "Hey, would you ever want to collaborate? I play with they might be giants. I love your stuff." And then he and then he said, "Well." Yeah, and I think somehow we talked about it, and we came upon the idea of this this true story of a kidney that had lived in four people. And so I said, "All right, let's do it. Let's write this song." And I wrote music, and I sent it to him, and then he wrote lyrics, and we sent it back to me, and then I wrote a chorus, and so then he sang it, uh, the verse, and we sang the choruses together, and we it was a full on collaboration, although we were not in the same room together. So that was you know that was based on something that was real in the world that we just wanted to make a song about. Many of the other songs are just something happens in my daily life when, when my kids were younger. Um, you know, I am a paleontologist, which is a They Might Be Giants song. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were making a science record 
and I, I sat down to write a song about electricity and I was having a little bit of a hard time. And then my son was a humongous um, a dinosaur fanatic. And so I thought, well, you know, this I know about. And I, I said, all right, I'll write about paleontology. And I wrote the song, you know, in about 15 minutes because it was something foremost on my mind. It was something I talked about with my son every day. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, uh, you know, I, I was able to write that very easily. Um, you know, oh, so that's they, amazing. So a, lot yeah. of, a lot of the songs, you know, even though they may be children's topics, they may be something that directly was was happening in my life that particular day or something. Oh, that's funny you should mention paleontologists, because I assumed that would have been one of the ones that would have had like a lot of research into it. But you just yeah, no, sort of no. knocked yeah, it out. Some of them do. Yeah, some of the yeah. songs do have research. Um, when I, I did the song called um, uh, My Magic Helicopter... Um, and I wanted the idea that, you know, you're taking the helicopter through the, the heavens, through the, the stars and, and, and the different, um, you know, galaxies and, and, and um, you know, uh, the constellations and things. And so I had to look up some of those to, to make references to them and, uh, you know, have it be a little more scientifically based in the bridge section of the song. Um, yeah, so there are times when, and even the, uh, the song Elephants, which is another They Might Be Giant yeah. song. I was riding my bike one day and there were people in the road and I thought, you know, get out of my way <laughs> yeah. and then started singing and, and then sang into my phone, get out of my way, get out of my way. The elephants are coming through your town today. And, and then I said, okay, I have a song about elephants. And then what do I know about elephants? And I remembered a story of this elephant stampede where they trampled over, uh, you know, a house in Sri Lanka. So I looked up the details of that and then I started looking up, elephants and the way that they communicate and you know the 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 wave sounds through the ground and 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 incorporated all of that information into that song so yeah sometimes there is there's definite research involved and then other times it's just things from my day to day cool okay there's one specific song i wanted to ask you about just think if you can tell me a little bit about it like musically homer danny and alf i've got like an idea what that means but i was wondering if you could Tell me for sure. sure. Uh, well, I'm glad you asked because I think that's one of the least appreciated of okay. all my tracks. Um, Homer, Danny, and Elf. It is uh, Homer is for Homer Simpson. Yeah. Danny is for Danny Elfman, not for me. Oh, okay. And Alf is for Alf. Clausen uh, was it? Alf Clausen, exactly. Yeah. Who was the man? You know, so Danny Elfman is a very famous Hollywood composer. And Oingo wrote, Boingo he, as well. He right? wrote, you know, all the, the scores for like Batman and all these great movies. And he wrote the original theme to The Simpsons. Yeah. And then Alf Clausen was hired to take that sort of uh, Lydian-based theme and run with it and, and create the music for the episodes for the shows. And so I love that music. I love the music in, this, in the shows. I love the theme song. And that, that particular track is an instrumental that is my sort of homage to to both Danny Elfman and and uh Alf Clausen and Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Pretty much what I thought actually. <laughs> but I yeah, just wanted yeah. to confirm it was. Um I like Alf Clausen. I mean I was only a kid, but do you remember the show Alf? I do. Yeah. I do. He he did the music for that. And oh, I had no idea. Yeah. No so idea. I've always just even as a kid it's just I mean for me it's just a name on the credits, but I always right. kind of thought, you know, he must be like an amazing musician or whatever so yeah that's cool yeah yeah no he's a, I, I think he's you know he, i think it's great i mean he, the amount of music the the number of episodes for the for the simpsons is is 
you know, is phenomenal. They've been going on for years and years and years, and the quality of the music is always terrific. So, yeah, yeah it was just my way. You know, I love to, uh, you know, I try to learn how to orchestrate and, and do those sort of things. I'm mostly self-taught as a musician, so there are times where I'll do some deep dives and study different kinds of, of music. And so I took a deep dive on that music and that track is kind of where I landed, you know. There's lots of love songs in your music, right? But they're not sort of, um, you know, boy meets girl, girl meets boy kind of love, but like about like real, I, I want to say like some deeper, like true sort of familial love. Is that like a conscious decision of yours? It's really, again, like uplifting is the only word I can think of for it. Actually, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's be- I think a lot of it is is because it is about familial love for me. Like uh, a couple of the songs are specifically directed to our, either my son or my daughter. Um, and, and so it's not romantic love that I'm, I'm thinking of. I'm right. thinking of, you know, that the way that, you know, when my daughter was a little girl, like how just seeing her smile or hearing her laugh, um, you know, could just fill my whole body with with this warmth you know yeah. that that kind of thing um and i you know to try to get that feeling in a song is is really you know difficult if not impossible but that's what i you know have in mind when i'm trying to write those songs okay cool um i guess we probably better wrap it up in a, in a few minutes but um i just have like one or two quick quicker questions for you if that's okay sure sure um so you're a grammy award winner right yes yeah we've, we've they might be giants have been nominated four times now and we've won twice. Amazing! What were they? For? What yeah. were the awards for that you won? Kids stuff. We're in a we're 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 in a lot of the the non uh, I forget what they call the main categories, what? but we're not in you know we're not in those. We haven't reached those top nine categories. Okay. In any of the, uh, we were nominated. They were nominated for let's see, uh, the best song in, written for film or television, which uh, the boss of me song yeah. from yeah. Malcolm in the Middle that beat Sting that year. Oh wow! Uh, and won the Grammy. Uh, then uh, we were nominated for best children's album for "Here Come the One Two Threes, and we won that one. And then we were nominated for best children's album for um, "Here Comes Science," and we lost to Pete Seeger, who was about ninety-one at the time. Yeah, uh, and is an American icon. So there was no possible way we were going to win that year. Um, and then we lost this year to The Grateful Dead. Um, and the category this year was Best Album Package. We have an album that came out this past year called Book, yeah, which is like a 147-page book, which has a CD accompanying it and artwork. And, and so we got nominated for that, but then uh, lost to The Grateful Dead. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So, but that, you know, it's whatever. It's, it's, it's nice to be nominated. Yeah. It's terrific to win. It's, it's all, you know, it's one of those things that, like, your mom and dad understand what yeah, you're Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And, and the guy down the street that's not really a music fan, when they hear that you want to grab me, they're like, oh, I guess he's what he's doing is for real, you know? Yeah. Did you, you get to go to the, uh, the ceremonies? Yes, yes, yeah. I went twice and had a, a, an absolutely, like, you know, I have mixed feelings about awards, especially when it comes to art. It's really such a subjective thing. And, and how can you say that, one, you know, Beyonce's record is better than Beck's record. They're entirely different. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but the, the, those, the weekends that they have for the Grammys, my wife and I had wonderful, wonderful weekends. They have like lifetime achievement award, uh, ceremonies 
that, you know, some of my biggest heroes, the, you know, the four tops, people like that, Charlie Hayden, who was an amazing jazz player, uh, you know, people like that were, were, were awarded and were really honored to be awarded, you know, given the awards. And, and I was happy to be there to witness that. And uh, the concerts themselves, you know, I've seen Radiohead, YouTube, Adele, MIA, uh, you go, Paul McCartney, Dave Grohl, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Stevie Wonder, as a result of being at those two Grammys that I was at, I got to see so many people that I really respect and admire. Um, and yeah, so the, 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 the celebration for me is, is a fantastic thing. And it's actually something I would love to return to one more time because I promised my daughter I'd bring her. <laughs> oh, cool. That'd be amazing. Yeah. She was yeah. too young. So now that mm -hmm. she's older, I would love to go one more time and bring her. But um, yeah, so we did go and, and it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So what's next for, for you, uh, Danny? Uh, what's next is we have uh, um, with They Might Be Giants right now, I'm currently on tour. We, uh, we're finishing uh, touring in the United States this spring. We have some shows in the summer, including playing at the Hollywood Bowl, opening for the band Sparks in July, which should be very fun. Yeah. Uh, then we go to Australia and the UK in, in the fall, which is also exciting. I love both places. Um, I um, will be doing more sh children's shows with my band, you know, just under Danny Weinkoff. Um, the new album came out this year, so I'm still hoping that maybe some of those songs will get to children's radio. Um, and, uh, I'll be working more with, with my son who'll be releasing an album hopefully this summer, and then he'll be, you know, putting together a band and touring and I'll probably be helping with that in some respect. Um, and I'm also, um, I've just recently signed a contract to write music for educational videos for children where I will just be doing, uh, background music, um, for this company called Nearpod that makes all these videos on various educational topics. Um, so I'll be doing creating music for them as well. Um, and then, you know, continuing to raise a family and, and uh, being a part-time pediatric physical therapist, etc. So awesome. And how, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And what's the best way for people to follow you? Um, I guess the easiest way is to just go to wherever you find your music, go to um, Spotify or iTunes or Amazon or you know, Apple Music or Title or whatever, look for Danny Weinkauf, W-E-I-N-K-A-U-F. That's where you'll find all my children's music or go to theymightbegiants.com and you'll find out about our tours or our music there or, you know, look up They Might Be Giants on the, the music services, the streaming services. You know, I'm the bass player on those tunes. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, yeah. And I, I do have a website, but... I, you know, I know that people would rather just go directly to streaming. So yeah. So, did you ever find out where they do make balloons? By the way, <laughs> our um, our former manager for They Might Be Giants suggested a, a factory in New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> I just. <laughs> And there it is. What fun. I really, really enjoyed chatting with Danny. And with a bit of luck, I might get to speak to his son when his first full-length album drops later this year. And if you're wondering where to go from here, I really can't recommend enough checking out Danny's most recent solo album, Light Up Your Love, which was released at the beginning of this year. It's chock full of fun, 
upbeat, life-affirming songs about childhood, family, love, and lots of other good, good stuff. And for the ukulele lovers amongst us, the song Pomegranate is a surefire winner. Also, check out the They Might Be Giants kids' albums. Danny has at least one song on each of these, as far as I'm aware. And where do they make balloons? I am a paleontologist, and especially, at the moment for me at least, elephants are all absolute corkers for my money. So, a big thank you once again to Danny Weinkoff for taking the time to talk with me. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show, and again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Now, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and, for the time being at least, Twitter. So, if you want to leave a comment there, I'm sure I'll see it. Or, as I said earlier, I do have an email address. And if you want to send me something a bit more long-form, I do read and reply to everything, eventually. So, go ahead and drop me a line to uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com, because I really can't wait to hear from you. Anyway, I'm starting my prep for my trip to LA next month for the NAM Music Convention, which, as fortune would have it, actually coincides with that much-postponed They Might Be Giants gig. Are you going to be in LA that weekend? At NAM? At the TMBG show? Let me know. It would be terrific to say hello to you. Now, I'd just like to say another huge thank you to our sponsor, Carla, for helping to keep the show going. Don't forget, if you are in the market for a new ukulele, to visit their website via my special link, www.carlabrand.com slash uketeacher, and you'll get a 10% discount on anything on their store just because you listen to this podcast. That can't be bad, can it? Well, I'll be back with another top show for you all next week, so be sure to tell your friends about Ukulele Tales every Wednesday, available in all the usual podcasty places. But until then, I love you all, and I wish you the best. <laughs>